My Seven Chakras, episode 177. Whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the heart. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, action takers? AJ here, your friend, your host, and your fellow action taker coming to you all the way from Vancouver, Canada. And for those of you who think Canada gets a lot of snow, I'd like to point out that Vancouver gets one or two days of snow in a year. I know, it's amazing. Action Tribe, this is a show where we believe that spirit and science go hand in hand to take on challenges that we cannot overcome by ourselves. Challenges that will take humanity to a whole new level. Now, before we begin today's epic interview, let's listen to our latest iTunes review, which is written by a user named Economo who writes, My seven chakras and Aditya are helping me transform into a better person and spirit. I am learning so much about myself while listening to these amazing people speak. I am forever grateful to have fallen upon this podcast about a year back. Action Tribe, if you want your own review to be read out, make sure you leave us your views, your experiences and your thoughts in the form of an iTunes review. If this is the first time you're writing a review, it's super simple. If you're on your iPhone, just hit reviews and then hit write a review. You can also type in this link onto your browser to directly jump onto the iTunes review page. The link is my7chakras.com forward slash review. That's my7chakras.com forward slash review. Just one review from you is a giant leap for our show because every review matters because they help us get more exposure, higher rankings and ultimately attract more action takers just like yourself. So if you want to help our movement grow, this is your turn to take action. And with that, we are now ready to welcome our featured guest for today, Mark Coleman. So Mark, are you ready to inspire? Yes, I am. Wonderful. So Mark Coleman is the author of Make Peace With Your Mind and Awake in the Wild. He's the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. He lives in Northern California. So Mark, that was a short intro about you, but take about a minute and give us a glimpse into your life and story. Okay, so um, um, very happy to be here. And um, my story is, well, I was born in England, raised in Northern England, and um, discovered uh, Buddhism when I was a punk rocker in London in the early 80s and uh, fell in love with meditation practice and its transformative power to heal the mind and heart. And so that began a 30-year exploration in meditation, mindfulness, and understanding what it means to be human and awake and alive and heartful in this world. I then went to study and practice in Asia, and then uh, later came to the States, where I moved to Northern California in the early 90s. And um, since then, well, since the late 90s, I've been uh, learning how to translate ancient wisdom traditions and practices into contemporary life. So I formed something called the Mindfulness Institute, which helps translate 
mindfulness teachings into more secular, organizational, workplace, healthcare settings. And I fell in love with the wilderness when I came here. And so I've been uh, exploring my own journey of meditation in nature. And I shared that through my book and teachings called Awake in the Wild, which is a very uh, heart love of mine. And um, yeah, I've basically dedicated my life to studying and teaching, training in meditation, and helping others to free themselves through those practices and um, now training a, a lot of teachers how to do that similar work. So I feel very blessed to be living a life that's uh, helping others to wake up and to find peace in their lives through meditation and, and mindfulness practice. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. I can imagine many of our listeners are waiting to get to know what it feels like to meditate in the wild, in the forest or in the jungle. So with that thought in mind, let's begin with a dose of inspiration. What is your favorite inspirational quote? And tell us how do you apply this quote in your day-to-day life? Okay, so one of my favorite quotes is a quote from the Buddha. And it says, whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the heart. Whatever the mind-heart frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the heart. And what that means really is actually the basis of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, which is whatever we focus on and orient towards and, and, and dwell on, as that becomes a habit and part of who we are and our personality, that becomes a defining quality of who we are. So what that means is it It's empowering in that we can change and transform who we are by what and how we pay attention. So if we focus on what's wrong and the negative and the problems, etc., that's what we become. If we focus on being generous and kind and loving, over time, that's what we become. So I love this quality because it gives us a certain sense of power in terms of transforming our own reality and experience of the world. Whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the heart. Really love this quote. Action Tribe, where your focus goes, energy flows. So make sure that you're focusing on the right thoughts, the right ideas, and the right mindset. And the very fact that you're listening to this episode right now means that you're already taking steps towards that destination. So with that, let's jump in. Uh, What inspired you to write your book, Make Peace, with your mind? Well, I've been working with students uh, for about 20 years. I'm both a psychotherapist and a coach and a meditation teacher. And so, but particularly uh, through the meditation teaching door, I've worked with thousands of people around the world. And I've come to see that probably the number one cause of Uh, mental anguish and pain, self-inflicted suffering is the, what I call the tyranny of the inner critic, the way that we judge ourselves, are harsh with ourselves and uh, berate ourselves for not being perfect, etc. And so, and, and it's also a great hindrance in meditation. And so it just came clear to me and I began teaching a lot about it and it became clear that it would be useful to have a guide to working with the the judging mind um, from the perspective of mindfulness and compassion. And so um, since I taught so much about it, I began to write about it and out came the book very easily and very happy that it's finally getting out into the world. Wonderful. So you mentioned that you've been working in this space for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what do you found from 
working with people around the world is that the number one cause for suffering is the tyranny of the inner critic. So before we move on, just to take a couple of steps back, what is your definition of mindfulness? That's a very good question. I tend to say that mindfulness is slightly undefinable, but I will give my attempt, which is mindfulness is the capacity to be aware of our inner and outer experience with clarity, insight, and understanding. So basically, mm -hmm. it's knowing what we know, knowing what's happening as it's happening, being present to our unfolding experience with clarity and discernment and non-reactivity. Love that. So thanks a lot for that clarification. Now, let's talk about the challenge at hand. In your experience, what are some ways in which our inner critic affects our life? Well, how the inner critic affects our life in many, many, many ways. So from something is like imposter syndrome, where we feel like we're never quite up to grade. You know, I've interviewed, you know, CEOs and COOs of, you know, Fortune 500 companies who feel like if people really knew who I am, I would be fired. Or people mm -hmm. in very successful relationships who fear if they really found out who I was in my core, they would leave. So um, the way the critic manifests is it fundamentally attacks our, our sense of worth and value. And so we have these voices in our head that tell us we're not good enough, not, not smart enough, not cute enough, not wise enough, not mindful enough, not spiritual enough, not whatever enough. And um, unfortunately, that habit has developed over decades, usually um, in place by the time we're about eight years old. And so we come to listen to that voice as the as the beacon of objective truth. And so um, what happens is it erodes our sense of worth, our sense of value, our sense of goodness. And so we move through life feeling uh, deficient, unworthy, uh, not enough. And so it's, it's, in, it's impossible to be at peace when that voice is both playing and when we believe the messages it's telling us. So you mentioned that this is an experience or a feeling that is not just uh, with one section of the population, right? Even with CEOs and leaders and visionaries, yep. people feel that imposter syndrome. Like if somebody knows who I really am, then they would leave me or I'll get fired or whatever it is. And that critic, that inner critic affects our sense of worth, which is potentially devastating and what i found really interesting is that you mentioned that this is socially ingrained within us right it, it's not something that has happened to us one or two years back but it's something that is repetitive from childhood yeah so uh, what does somebody do about this i mean since it's something that is deeply ingrained maybe in our subconscious as well how does a person deal with this? Well, the reason I framed the book as, you know, how to work with the critic with mindfulness and compassion is because the first step with anything on the path of waking up is awareness, self-awareness, mindfulness. And so the first mm -hmm. thing is to notice the thoughts in your head. And we all have a lot of thoughts in our head. Just try meditating. You'll see how many thoughts there are in your head. And um, so we first have to begin to notice what kinds of thoughts there are, which ones are judging thoughts, right? If we don't, if we're not aware that our, we're judging, it's just going to go on uh, uninterruptedly. Sure. So first we have to recognize uh, the judging thoughts. We have to see how much we believe the, the, the words. We, have to, we need to see how we give it authority. Um, and we need to see the impact. You know, I think, you know, going back to your earlier question, one of the 
impacts of the critic is we we often feel and not just unworthy but we can feel depressed we can feel anxious um, I believe it can lead to suicidality when it's really uh, uh, when its volume is very high and so um, first we have to you know begin to notice it begin to see how it uh, operates begin to see where it operates you know the the critic is very um, it's a very primitive mental habit and so it will get triggered by very predictable things like if you're running late for a meeting or you you trip over in this street or you forget your friend's birthday or you uh, get criticized at work or, you know, many, many ways that our, our critic can be on our case for not performing well enough. And so so we first recognize it with awareness. Um, and then there are many strategies that, which I outline in the book, which I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about. Um, but the first is awareness. The second is to see how much we believe it and buy into it. The third is to see how much we let it just speak to us uninterruptedly. And then there's the place of the heart, which is to feel the, the painfulness of those voices. Like if we, if we imagine our critic, if we imagine our best friend talking to us in the same way that the critic does, we wouldn't let them talk like that for more than 10 seconds you know, or a minute. Mm. But we let this voice go on and on and on. And the net effect of that is it's very painful. If we listen, if we imagine our friends talking to us like that, we, you know, it would be very painful. So we have to both feel some kindness and care and compassion for ourselves for being, you know, treated and talked to like that because it is very painful. Um, and actually the, the response to the critic comes out of a compassionate care for ourselves to say, no, this isn't, this isn't true. This isn't okay to be talked to like this. And I need to find another way to relate to myself and to connect with my own value aside from what my critic has to say about my worth. Mm -hmm. So step one, like you mentioned, is to develop that awareness to really get to know what are those constant thoughts in our head, those judging thoughts, as you rightly mentioned, and not only that, but how we respond to them. So for example, if the thoughts are constantly in our head, but if we're able to let go of them, that's all right. But if those thoughts affect us, they affect the way we feel or the way we believe, we need to become aware of that. And then towards the end, you mentioned that we need to develop a level of compassion for ourselves to understand what are those thoughts that are serving us and what are those thoughts that are really not serving us. And of course, uh, there are other techniques that you mentioned about or you talk about in your book as well. Now, I'm, I want to talk a bit about your previous book called Awake in the Wild. Uh, could you talk about how nature can help us with mindfulness? Yes, definitely. So... You know, as as you mentioned, so I wrote a book about called Awake in the Wild, and it's one of my loves to be outside in nature and mm. to. And I think one of the things that nature can provide, and I hear this from many people, is people often feel a sense of unconditional acceptance and unconditional love. You know, we're very conditional with our love and affection for ourselves or for others. Um, but when we go outside and we're away from people, there's a sense of not being so self-referential and not being so caught up in this way that we critique ourselves. I mean, I'll, I'll mm. share a story. Um, a friend of mine was... Um, uh, uh, noticing that the squirrels in her garden got very fat in the autumn and the winter and lost their weight and became, you know, s slim in spring. And she noticed that she did the same thing, that she would sort of fatten up a little bit in autumn, winter, because she's more s slow and eating, you know, richer food. And then she would get into exercise in the spring and lose weight. But she found she had a very 
natural acceptance of the squirrel's pattern of doing that, but very judgmental of herself. It's a bit like when we go outside and we see an oak tree that's fallen over, but maybe it's lost half its limbs, but it's still growing. And there's a way that we can unconditionally accept and love the natural world for all of its idiosyncrasies and 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 difference and complexity and diversity but we're very critical of ourselves and so what nature teaches us is about this radical um diversity and also um the 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 uniqueness of life we all have our quirks and idiosyncrasies and um with nature we learn how to accept all of that and so when we're outside there's a way that that can begin to translate to how we are with ourselves. Wonderful. So you've shared so many things with us up until now. You mentioned that nature truly provides us a sense of unconditional love and affection, something that we can experience on a very intuitive level as soon as you step into a forest where you have, you know, tall trees that are guarding you and protecting you no matter who you are or where you're from. And also with your example, it's so clear that we can learn so much from nature about the cycle of life, cycle of seasons, and also how we can use those lessons in our life. Now, I understand that you conduct nature retreats across the world, right? So what exactly happens during such a retreat? Well, on a nature retreat, I take people out for as short as a day, but as long as 10 days. And um, it's a a meditation retreat where we uh, go out into nature with a contemplative meditative awareness. So the primary practice is mindfulness. So we might be camping or hiking. I, I lead a kayaking meditation retreat in Baja. I lead backpacking retreats in the Sierras or base camp retreats in New Mexico. And basically what I'm doing is we're cultivating that jewel of awareness, presence, mindfulness, attentiveness. Um, and normally that, that attention and meditation is directed inwards. When we're on nature retreats, we're both attending to our inner experience, but also we're attending to the beauty the sensory world, and we're using the senses uh, and our attunement to the senses and the sounds and the smells and the sights and the textures and etc. We're using that as a support for dwelling in the present moment. So when when we go outside, our attention is naturally allured. Right, we want to pay, we want to be, be in the present moment because it's beautiful and, and diverse and rich and interesting. And so, so I'm basically helping people to see how when we train our mind to be present and we, we bring that in the outdoors, nature actually is a natural support for that attentiveness. And then once that attentiveness is there, then we can learn to see how much teachings there are in the natural world, um, teaching us about interconnection and about love and about letting go and about stillness and peace and many other things. Wonderful. So what really caught my attention was you mentioned um, focusing on our inner experience as well as our sensory experience, our external experience. Uh, but to do that uh, in a way that allows you to dwell in the present. Is that correct? Yes. So for someone who's at home right now, maybe someone listening to this episode this very minute, how does that person go about implementing this type of practice in their daily lives? You mean in terms of their relationship to nature? Uh, In terms of connecting both the internal experience as well as our sensory experience to come back to the presence, which could be with nature or maybe if they're far away from nature at this point uh, as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, wh- you know, whether someone's in, living in the country or the city, um, yeah. it doesn't really matter in that. Um, basically, the body is always in the present moment, and our senses are always happening in the present moment. And so when we 
become aware of those, we're naturally more in the present moment. One of the main obstacles to both meditation and I'd say to life is that we spend most of our time ruminating in thoughts about the past, in worrying about the future, and really actually present to what's happening now in my body, in the conversation, in the sky, in the people all around me. And so the more that we learn to practice being physically embodied in our body, present to our sensory experience, whether it's being in a meeting at work or walking down the high street in Vancouver or strolling, walking your dog in a meadow, um, we can, it doesn't, the, the environment is less important than can we be present to what's happening rather than being lost in my worries and thoughts and plans and projections and fears. And so we can use any environment and any sensory experience to bring us back in the present. And that, that is the basis of mindfulness practice. So, and anybody can learn to do that. You could be doing the dishes. It could be cooking for the kids. It could be walking the dog. It could be, you know, going for a hike. And of course, the more beautiful it is, the more willing we are to want to be there. But it could be true sitting on a subway in, in, in Manhattan. We can use any experience to be present as long as we attune to it, attend to it. Wonderful. So I'm curious to learn about when was the first time you ever heard about mindfulness meditation? Well, uh, as I said, I was a punk rocker in London and yeah. um, I was uh, squatting uh, a house that happened to be, uh, squatting means when you illegally take over a house, which was a very common movement back in the 80s because there's a lot of empty houses. And I happened to be squatting a Buddhist housing cooperative house and they, really? they weren't very happy about that, but they uh, being, being Buddhists and kind, they said, you know, okay, well, here you are and, and you should check out this meditation center. And I was a very young, angry, confused man. I was at college and doing all the crazy things that young people do. And I would, but I was looking, I was, I was very unhappy. I was distressed and I was looking for something to solve my mental pain my anguish. And so I went into this meditation center. And as soon as I walked in, I saw these people walking around and they had some kind of presence. They had, a, there was a look in their eye. And I thought those people have figured something out and they have something. I don't know what it is, but I know I want it. It was a quality of this very dignified presence. And then I, so I got, I got drawn into meditation because I wanted to know what that quality was, what that experience was. And it's, you know, being, an exploration for me is you know hence that is amazing thanks a lot for sharing that story now i'm curious to know what are your thoughts on climate change my thoughts on climate change well it's definitely not a hoax as some uh presidents might like to think it is mm -hmm. um it is real it's a scientific fact it is uh mostly uh human driven by carbon emissions from fossil fuels and etc and I would say it is the biggest crisis facing humanity. And so far, we're doing a very slow attempt at really seriously addressing it. Right. And this new incoming president is not going to be very supportive of that, which is very distressing to me and everybody I know in the environmental community. Mm. And um, it's an issue that we go to sleep to because it's too big for our small human consciousness to take in. We can't see it outside our doorstep unless we're in a hurricane. Um, 
And yet, if we look at the data, it's very clear, it's very long, it's going to be calling suffering from millions and millions of people, already is, loss of islands, loss of habitat, loss of species. And I think it is the number one crisis facing our species, and we have a very short window of time to begin turning the tide of carbon emissions to uh, reduce the heat that's growing. <clears throat> and, um, you know, one of the reasons I teach my work is because yeah. I want people to wake up to the beauty of nature because when we love something, we protect it. So I have a Facebook page called We Protect What We Love. And its mission is to support the, the positive actions of climate change, um, people working in that sector. So, um, you know, it's imperative that we we go outside, be in nature, fall in love with it, because when we do that, we won't take care of it and steward it. So, and it's, I think, up for everyone, both individually and also uh, governmentally, to actually implement the, 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 the accord in Paris and beyond. Right. So, what I think is uh, very profound is that you mentioned that we protect what we love. So, mm-hmm. if you learn to love nature, so subconsciously, we will take actions and steps to protect it as well. Now, you've alluded to this a bit, but climate change overall can sometimes feel like too large of a cause mm-hmm. for an average individual yes. to make a difference, right? Yes. So so what can a person listening to this episode right now do to really help with this cause in any way possible? Yeah, I think there's 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 different there's different things. You know, one is the personal, right? What choices am I making in my lifestyle, mm. in my travel, in my use of resources, whether it's flying or you know my gas emissions from my car or my the way I invest my money? Do I invest in fossil fuel companies that are contributing right. to the problem? Or do I invest in, you know, green energy, for example? Um, so there's the personal level, and then there's the um, the I'd say the more global, the macro picture, which is, um, you know, who am I voting for? Am I voting for someone who's going to do make a constructive effort to uh, prevent climate uh, change disruption? Um, and am I doing what I can to influence my company, my company's choices? who they invest in. I think both levels are important. You know, in, in there was an era where we thought, oh, if I only change my light bulbs and buy a Prius, everything will be fine. But it's clear that we need also macroeconomic change in the way that we're consuming and using fossil fuels. And that requires that we pressure our governments and large uh, companies to begin to make a transition to sustainable energy uses. So Action Tribe, remember that you have the power in terms of what you buy, how you travel, where you invest, and who you work for. So Mark, based on what you've shared today, thanks a lot, first of all, for sharing those amazing insights, the stories, those ideas and concepts. If you had to tell one of your students to go out in the world and take one action, what would that one action be? That's a great question. If there was one action they could do, hmm. you mean in terms of a sort of a, a political or social action as opposed to personal action? Uh, it actually could be any action based on what you feel is apt for the situation. Okay. <laughs> um, boy, that's there's so many things I could say. One action that I would encourage people to do, um, I would encourage people as one of my teachers and mentors, Joanna Macy, uh, talks about, I would encourage people to get together with other people to get involved in some action that brings about positive change, whether it's in the community, an ecological action, 
political action uh, to get together with people who are creating positive change in the world, whether it's protecting species or ending climate change or preserving your inner city community or some way that to get involved so we don't feel so isolated and despairing and hopeless, but realize, um, as Margaret Mead said, it's, it's only, it's a few individuals that um, have the possibility of creating change in the world. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 177. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 177. We tend to steer our lives in the direction of the lessons we need to learn. Now, this is an amazing quote by Don Campbell. Action Tribe, the experience you're having right now is part of the grand plan called your life. And during this plan, there are certain lessons that you need to learn, certain people that you need to meet and certain losses that you need to bear in order to move and ascend to the next level. And all of this is pre-programmed before you enter the world. And some of the people call it your soul's contract. Remember, your soul is infinite. But during your time here on earth, it is as if you are guided by a GPS that is guiding you towards those lessons that you need to learn. So be bold, have faith, take action and know that everything will be all right. So Mark, I'm sure that you've had your fair share of challenges as well. So talk to us about one major challenge that you had to go through. What was the experience um, like? And then how did you overcome it? Yes, well, as as you say, we all go through many life challenges. Um, I would say one of the life challenges I had to work through was um, dealing with uh, my own trauma and my own personal trauma that was, um, I would say, pre-verbal. I was on a long meditation retreat. It was a three-month meditation retreat and um, surfaced some deep layers of pain that were very, very... uh, catastrophic for 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 my my life and my experience and very much changed the compass point of my direction and um as anybody who's worked with trauma has to do has to do some deep healing and um what i came to realize that for many people on the spiritual life as i was a young man trying to transcend away from my pain, away from this, the mess of life, thinking I could somehow bypass all of that into some ethereal enlightenment. And what the trauma revealed to me was I had to actually descend, rather than go out through my seventh chakra, I had to descend through the chakras, through and integrating all of my experience, heart, body, mind. And so, and what I learned with working with my own trauma and there, and and by and later working with many other people's trauma is the essential quality of compassion that uh, we have to meet the pain of ourselves with a kind caring loving heart and it was only through meeting myself with self compassion that allowed the healing and transformation to take place and it was and it was walking through my own despair and sorrow and terror and annihilation allowed me to really break open my heart of compassion and has really fueled my work with people in the world. And so as many people do look back at those times of deep challenge and actually realize I feel tremendous gratitude for that, even though I wouldn't wish it on anybody, 
it's the time that my own soul grew the most. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. If you had to share one major life lesson with our listeners today in just one sentence, what would that be? One life lesson in one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Well, as my five-year-old nephew used to remind me in a nursery rhyme that's both here in the States and in, in, in England is the only way out is through. The only way out is through, as in we have to walk through our challenges and pain and suffering. We can't bypass and avoid and suppress. The only way out is through. That's in a nurse. That's in a nursery rhyme. Really? Yes. Wow, <laughs> that's really, really profound. And sometimes you never know what sort of profound wisdom you can find where. And in this case, it is in a nursery rhyme. So again, thanks a lot for sharing. You mentioned that one of the challenges you were dealing with was your personal trauma, and I'm sure many of our listeners uh, will be able to relate to this because some traumas people know about, and sometimes it might be still stuck deep within their subconscious. But you were on a three-month-long meditation retreat, and during which some of the pains, some of the energy surfaced, and, and, and those experiences really changed your life's direction. You did the work, the hard work that was needed in order to experience that change, and you realized one major thing that you could not really escape your trauma or the experiences. In fact, you had to descend through all your experiences, through the chakras, all the way to the root chakra rather than escaping them. And as a result, you developed compassion and kindness and those qualities really helped you transform your life. And what I really loved about your story is what was initially trauma and that energy through compassion and kindness uh, got converted into fuel for your life's work. And through that, you've changed so many people's lives and really taught us today that the only way out is through. So thanks a lot for sharing. You're most welcome. So Action Tribe, I might not have met you so far, but I do know this about you. I know that you are committed to taking action and overcoming challenges and finding your life's purpose. You're experiencing a shift right now in your life, a shift in mindset and belief systems, and gradually a possibility of a new reality is opening up in front of you. And because there is so much change happening in your life, you are experiencing that transformation in your life as well, mind, body, and spirit. Now, sometimes the people around you might welcome that. In many cases, they might not, you know, they might ignore you or make fun of you, isolate you, or ask you to change back to your old self. Whatever the case might be, as we are learning today, remember that you are in charge of your destiny and you get to decide what to do next. In the process, you might lose friends, family members, partners, or even your old community. But remember, all of this is just part of your transformation, the shedding of your old energy and making way the new. And there may be moments when you feel all alone, lonely, and in fact, uh, sometimes second-guessing, right? Second-guessing your decisions. At such a moment, remember that whatever you're looking for is also looking for you. Sometimes there might be a delay in the universe, but it will reach you soon. And as Rumi once said, do not feel lonely. The entire universe is inside of you. So Mark, as on today, at this moment, What is your life's calling? Well, my life's calling um, has been true for many years. And uh, somebody asked me this question last night at a dinner function. Mm. And my life's calling is to bring about, uh, to ultimately it's to relieve suffering uh, and to bring healing. And, but it's how that specifically runs through me is to 
utilize the wisdom teachings and practices I've learned through my years of study with Buddhist and nature meditation practice and learn to bring those into the world to help bring as much healing and transformation as possible to as many as possible. And so my work, my inner work is to make myself a vehicle to be the best delivery for those wisdom teachings. Wonderful. Now, as you glance back at your life and the memories that you've had, was there ever a defining moment that changed things for you? Um, there was one defining moment. It's a slightly funny story. Um, mm -hmm. So it was, it, still, it was happening in that squat, that house that I was squatting. And I was, um, you know, as I said, a very anguished, uh, angry young man. And I was about to go uh, to travel in Europe. And the, the roof, the interior roof of the house fell in. It was a very old, decrepit wow. building and covered the place in just a lot of filth and dirt and, you know, it was decades old Victorian mess. And um, everybody in the house, um, I have to say, was stoned <laughs> and didn't really care. <laughs> it just was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I left that day and thinking they would clean it up when I got back and I returned and um the place was still in exactly the same mess as i'd left except there was a little space in the sink so people could wash their teacups because this was england you know <laughs> and and i had this profound awakening which people do in these most bizarre of circumstances where i just thought there has to be more life to more to life than this there has to be more meaning and purpose than sitting around getting stoned and not doing anything purposeful and meaningful with your life. And that, that very sort of bizarre and random moment catalyzed really a lifelong search for meaning and purpose and, um, and, 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 and to find, you know, some usefulness in the world. And that was actually what really started my search. So random as that is. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for sharing that story. I think that's, uh, that's really inspiring. I mean, you, you, you left the place and then you came back uh, and noticed that, uh, you know, the roof wasn't repaired or changed. And then you had that uh, thought deep within you that something has to change, right? You had that spark, that magic moment and the defining moment that really changed things for you. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be able to relate. And with that, we've arrived at my favorite round, the wisdom round. Which is basically four questions that need four quick responses okay so the first one is what is the best advice that you've ever received mm, the best advice i've ever see, received is boy you ask tough questions i'm so stressed <laughs> ask, answer these quickly the best advice I, i've received so much good advice um i think the best advice i've ever received is to be forgiving for one's humanness got it so name a personal habit that keeps you strong. To go out daily into nature with a contemplative awareness. So what is your morning routine like? My morning routine is, where I'm currently living, is I get up early, um, pre-sunrise, and I go and sit on my deck and meditate as the sky is illuminated with a beautiful array of rainbow colors and the sun rises above angel island on the san francisco bay oh, that sounds beautiful so name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today well given the subject we've been talking about i would recommend uh, awake in the wild how mindfulness 
in nature is a path of self-discovery. And I think given what's happening with the U.S. political climate, I think it's more important than ever that people get out and be in nature with this contemplative awareness. I would, without seeing my trumpet too high, I would recommend that as a very practical book for learning how to be in nature through mindfulness. Wonderful. We'll have this link up in the show note. Action Tribe for today's show notes, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 177. That's our website forward slash 177. Make sure it's a number and not in word form. So Mark, it was super uh, chatting with you today. Thanks a lot for taking your time. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you. Well, I'm grateful for the perennial gifts of nature, including this week, which is a challenging week for those of us in the US, for some of us in the US, uh, the perennial sunrises and the beauty that nature continually gives. blesses us with every day and the best way to reach me is uh, a website called markcoleman.org m-a-r-k coleman c-o-l-e-m-a-n.org and you'll find links there to multiple websites that i have various things i do in the world perfect we'll have that link up in the show notes so mark thank you so much for joining us today talking to us about the power of mindfulness and the power of getting back into nature and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you so much, AJ. Pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to be with your listeners. And thank you for your good work in the world. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today.